Thank you, Miss Ann. I appreciate that. If your Bibles are open to the book of Isaiah, chapter 41, I'm not sure about you, but I have what I call my go-to verses. At different times in life, different situations arise. There are verses that I just automatically go to, and they become my point of meditation through the course of a day. Uh, Psalm 107.1, we sing it all the time. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. It's one of my go-to verses uh, on those, those times when maybe it's been a bad day, a difficult day. Uh, I go there and I dwell there because it reminds me that even on the bad days, God is still good. Even when I'm bad, God is still good. It's a go-to verse. Uh, a few weeks back, Vicki Edwards had uh, sent me a text and uh, let me know that Bill had taken a turn for the worse and uh, things were just so very, very difficult for her. Uh, he was suffering, uh, we had mentioned it at that time, uh, he, he was suffering just a little bit of dementia where he just, his mind was unclear and he was, he was uh, hallucinating, if you will. This is going back several weeks now. And so I, I tried to write some encouraging words in a text and I wrote down uh, the reference for Isaiah 40, uh, Isaiah 41 and verse 10 to her. I didn't write out the verse. I just put the reference there. God says to his people, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness." Some hours later, I think it was, it was towards evening of that same day, Vicki texted me back and she had actually put this verse to music. Uh, I need her to sing it and send it to me. She put it to music and she sang it to Bill. And she said it had the most incredible calming effect on him. I'm not sure how much of it he was comprehending uh, in, in that particular moment of his life, but there was just something about the music, something about the truth of this verse that had that calming effect. Isaiah 41.10 is one of my favorite go-to verses. I can't tell you how many times in any given week that I will, I will just quote this verse to myself. Uh, it was actually a verse that was put to uh, music when I was a student in Bible college going back 45 years or more now. Um, I could sing it, but I would rather it be a good service today, so I'm not going to. Uh, but it, it, I, I can't tell you, every week of my life, I, I go to Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Someone has taken the time to search through the scriptures and they have found that the phrase fear thou not or fear not or be not afraid, those type phrases are found as a message from God to, to his people 366 times in your King James Bible. The observation was, isn't it kind of cool? God put it in there once for every day of the year, and he even covered uh, leap year in that. Fear thou not. If you do any study on the subject of emotions, we all have them. Uh, emotions are very powerful things, and they drive a lot of what we do and how we think and so forth. But almost universally, uh, you would think that love is the strongest motivator, the strongest of emotions, but it's actually fear. It's actually fear. 
Fear can damage our lives and limit our lives in ways that the other emotions don't even approach unto. And so God repeatedly tells us, fear thou not, be not afraid. For the Christian, the Bible teaches us that faith and fear cannot coexist one with the other. Faith and fear are as diametrically opposed from each other as light is from darkness, as oil is from water. You just cannot mix them. They don't work together. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. He said, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That verse tells me not only do faith and fear not work together, but it tells me that when I am consumed by fear, fear of the future, where a lot of people are experiencing that today, aren't we? Fear of the future, fear of failure. Well, if I try that, what happens if I fail? Fear of our foes. Uh, they're saying this, they're doing this, uh, that type of thing. Fear can cripple us in so many ways. When I am consumed by my fear and I'm laying awake at night and I'm fretting, fretting and I'm worrying and I'm stressing about it, it is a clear sign to me I am not walking in faith because faith and fear don't go together, not even a little bit. In Mark chapter 4, the Savior was on the Sea of Galilee one night with his disciples and a, and a terrible storm arose. Almost every night on the Sea of Galilee, there is a windstorm that sweeps over that body of water. When we were in Israel, we experienced that from the land side of things. Uh, and it just comes out of nowhere and the waves just, it, it's like a giant lake in some places, but all of a sudden you've got these major white caps rolling in and, and you see the boats tied up at the docks and they're just ro rocking uh, with the ferocity that they're out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in a small wooden fishing boat and such a storm came up and the Bible said that the Savior was asleep in the hinder part of the ship but his disciples woke him up and the first words out of their mouth is, Master, carest thou not that we perish? At least four of those men were seasoned fishermen. From childhood, they grew up on the Sea of Galilee. Being out on a boat at all times of the day and night is a part of their lives. This storm was so fierce that those seasoned fishermen were terrified and their fear caused them to think, God doesn't care about me. Master, carest thou not that we perish? Jesus got up, spoke to the storm, peace be still, and the winds and the waves ceased. And then in Mark chapter 4 and verse 40, he turned back to his followers and he said unto them, why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Fear and faith do not coexist. But how often do we find ourselves living in the realm of fear throughout the Bible? We see God encouraging his people over and over again with these words, be not afraid, uh, fear thou not. Uh, for sake of time, you don't have to turn there, but you might jot some, some references down in Joshua chapter 1. Moses just passed away. He has been the only leader that Israel has known for the past 40 plus years. And now he's passed away and the mantle of leadership has fallen upon Moses' servant, a, a man by the name of Joshua. He's going to lead a nation. He's going to do things that even Moses could not do. 
Moses never led the children of Israel under the promised land and Joshua has that charge placed upon him and yet God says this in Joshua 1.9, have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid. Neither be thou dismayed for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Several decades, maybe a maybe 100, 150 years later, Israel was in the land, but they had strayed from God and the Midianite nation had overwhelmed them. The Bible says the army of the Midianites looked like grasshoppers covering the land. It was beyond being able to count the number of soldiers. Israel was undefended. The, the, the Midianites took away all of their weapons and confiscated them. And yet God came to a young man named Joshua and, and, and said, I've called you. I want you. You are going to lead Israel uh, into battle against the Midianites and I'm going to give you victory. And Gideon, like any one of us, would have said, I can't do that. In fact, his response was, Lord, I'm, I'm a nobody. Lord, I'm, I'm from the smallest family and the smallest tribe in the nation of Israel. And we're a people of slaves in our own land. I, I, there's no way I can do this. And God spent some time with Gideon to encourage him. And then the Bible said in, in Judges chapter 6, verse 23, the Lord said unto him, peace be unto thee. Fear not, thou shalt not die. Jeremiah chapter 1, Jeremiah shares his testimony of his call to preach, his call to the ministry. He was a young man, many Bible scholars think a, a 16, 17, or 18-year-old young man, and God said, I have ordained you from your mother's womb to be a prophet under the nations. You're not just going to pastor a church. You're not just going to be a prophet to a state or to a country. I'm going to make you the number one most listened to preacher in the entire world. You're going to deliver messages to Babylon, to Egypt, to Israel, and every kingdom surrounding them and in between them. And of course, Jeremiah, his response is, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. I'm too young. I don't have any ability to do this. Oftentimes, we start feeling the Lord tugging on our hearts about uh, some, some aspect of service, maybe teaching a class, maybe singing in the choir, uh, maybe, maybe running a bus route. And our inclination is, but I'm not, I, I'm not smart enough or I'm not talented enough. I've never done that before. And before long, fear has, has us talking ourselves out of the will of God, just like that. And Jeremiah is starting to do that. But the Lord said unto me, say not, I am a child. For thou shalt go to all that I will send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. You and I are not the first people to struggle with fear. We find that all through the Bible, some of the greatest saints of God had to face their fear and deal with it over and over again. Fear can keep us from taking the next step in our Christian lives. Fear can keep us from taking a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. You understand it was fear that crippled Peter as he stood around the fire and a, and a young lady came up to him and said, aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter's looking around and he's standing with all the enemies there and fear took over. And the man who promised uh, Jesus that he would never deny him said, I don't know him. Somebody else come up and affirmed and said, surely you're one of them. And he said, I, I don't know the man. 
And somebody else came up and said, surely you're one of them. Your speech gives you away because you're a Galilean. You've got that accent going in. Surely you're one of them. And this time he cursed and swore and denied and said, I don't even know him. Peter didn't do that because he was a wicked, vile man. Uh, he was a sincere man. But at that moment, his fear overruled his faith and he denied his, his savior. Fear can do that to us. It can do that to us. When I, was, when I first got saved, uh, um, I, was in, I was going into the 10th grade. For a little while, my first year in high school, uh, there were a few other kids from my church in the school, and we didn't have a lot of classes together, but we did get to see each other from time to time. We ate lunch together, and we tried to encourage each other. I, I was brand new in this school. Uh, there were 2,200 students in the school. There were 1,008 in my sophomore class that year. Um, and I was overwhelmed and I was lost in this place, but I had some friends to draw upon. I mentioned Jeff Arthurs uh, a couple of weeks ago. Jeff was one of my, my, my classmates at the time. But in, in my junior year, our church started a Christian school and most of the kids from our youth group went to the Christian school and I was the only one left at Hempfield High School. And I was on my own. I had established the year before that I was saved. I carried my Bible to school. I carried tracts. I was, I was passing my, because I had friends around me that were doing that and we were encouraging one another. But so, all of a sudden, I'm all by myself. One day in homeroom, my, my homeroom teacher was a lady named Mrs. Stabile. She was a saved lady. She was somewhat eccentric uh, and so forth, but she was a very nice lady and she knew that I was a Christian and so forth. Um, and one day in homeroom, we had about a 45 minute period there. Uh, a, a fellow who lived in my area, my neighborhood, uh, a young man by the name of Keith, walked by my desk during homeroom, grabbed my Bible from off the top of my books, opened it up and started walking around the room in a real high-pitched sing-song voice, holy, 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 uh, and uh, uh, just carrying on like that. And of course, everybody's laughing at him uh, and so forth. And uh, Mrs. Stabile uh, saw him do that, knew that it was my Bible. And boy, she stood up and, and she just lit into him uh, in, in no uncertain terms that, you know, he was mocking someone's faith, so on and so forth. And during that time, Keith walked over and he was a, he's a great big guy and I was not a great big guy uh, like I am now. And uh, he's standing right beside my desk. Uh, and, and I'm sitting there and I'm red faced because uh, I, I knew I was the target of everything and, and, and so forth. And Keith uh, put my Bible back down, put his hand on my shoulder and said, Tom doesn't have any problem with what I'm doing, do you? My answer should have been yes. Yes, I do. You're making fun of the word of God and you're making fun of the God of the word but I was so overwhelmed with fear of what would happen if I said that, I just shook my head no. And Mrs. Stabile just got quiet for a moment and she looked at me. She said, never mind. I thought I was defending someone. And she walked around and sat down. Keith sat down. The whole room got, got quiet. And I was humiliated not by what Keith had done, but by what I had not done. It was fear. Fear can cause us to do that. 
Fear can keep us from staying true to the word of God. Fear takes our focus away from the Lord and places it on everything else. People can create a spirit of fear in us. Uh, in, in the book of 1 Samuel, um, David walked, or I'm sorry, uh, the, the army of Israel was, was encamped on one side of a valley and the Philistines on the other. And every morning and every evening, this giant man named Goliath came out. By best description of what the Bible says, he was about nine and a half feet tall, three feet taller than this guy. And I think he's big, three feet taller than that. He had armor that you wouldn't be able to lift. Took a team to get him dressed for battle. He had a spear that probably nobody in this room could effectively even throw. He was a monster of a man who had been trained from childhood to be a warrior. The Bible called him the champion of the Philistines. And he issued an order every day and a, and a deal saying, you send out one person to fight me and we'll do hand-to-hand -hand combat. And if your champion wins, we will be your servants forever. But if we win, you are our servants forever. Well, sitting up on that hillside was King Saul. A man that the Bible says stood head and shoulders taller than anybody else in the entire nation. Think about that. He's the tallest man in his kingdom. He is a man that God has used to fight many battles already. He's won many battles. But somehow that day, Saul and all of his soldiers, all of his army are uh, sitting there and they're looking at this giant of a man. And the Bible says they were greatly afraid. And they just sat there for 40 uh, solid days. The, the, every morning, every night for 40 days, Goliath came out. Not one Israelite had the faith to walk out till finally David came, a shepherd boy. David came to bring some food to his older brothers who were in that army. He heard the giant. He said, is somebody going to go out and take care of this guy? Is, is, is nobody going to stand up? He's defying and blaspheming, blaspheming the name of the Lord our God. And, and everybody tried to hush him and, and, and quiet him down. And David would not be stilled. And it was a little boy who was not filled with weapons, who was not filled with physical strength, but a little boy that was so filled with faith, he could not see Goliath. All he could see was the God who was bigger than Goliath. But see, fear will take our focus off of God and put it on everything else. So God says over and over again in his word, fear thou not. But God doesn't just make the statement and say, don't be afraid, be not afraid. He gives us some reasons why we shouldn't be afraid. By the way, if God says, be not afraid, that ought to be enough. We ought to trust God on it. He, he shouldn't have to say anymore. But he understands us, and he's a kind and a gracious God. And in Isaiah 41, in verse number 10, God tells us why we don't have any, any need to be afraid. Please look with me at this verse as we walk through it for a few moments this morning. Fear thou not, number one, for I am with thee. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. You don't have any reason to be afraid because you have the presence of God. I am with thee. Back in Joshua, when, when Joshua was assuming the, the mantle of leadership, God said the exact same thing. Don't be afraid for I am with thee. God told Jeremiah the exact same thing. Be not afraid of their faces for I am 
with thee. When I pastored in Pennsylvania on Thursday nights, we would sometimes, oftentimes go out soul winning. And generally on Thursday night, my soul winning partner was a man named Don Hart. Don is taller than him. Taller than him. You know Mr. Hart. And we go out and Jeanette is not a safe place in the daytime. In the nighttime, it's worse than that. It's just a rough little town. Uh, and we would be knocking on doors and there really wasn't a good neighborhood to go into uh, and so forth. But we went everywhere. Somebody asked me one time, said, does it ever bother you? Are you ever afraid about going soul winning at night? I said, look who my soul winning partner is. I don't have to be afraid of anything. Uh, he's big enough to take them all out. Don's response was a little less reassuring than mine. He said, I'm not afraid of anything because all I have to do is outrun him. So I'm, I'm not sure that my faith was, was placed in a real reliable source there, but there was just something about knowing I had this great big giant of a man with me that if there was any issue, I, I, I had that, that type of protection. Well, you've got something bigger than that. You've got Almighty God. Hebrews remind us, for he have said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. In Acts 27, Paul and his companions were on a ship on the Mediterranean Sea headed for the city of Rome. Paul was in chains. He was a prisoner and he was going there to be tried before Emperor Nero. And while they were on the sea, a violent storm came up and they gave it a name, Eurachlodon. We name hurricanes and, and, and storms like that. Well, that's really nothing new. This one they named Eurachlodon. Um, and, and it just went on and on and on. Usually a hurricane blows in and in a few hours it blows back out and it can leave a lot of destruction in a few hours. But Eurachlodon went on for weeks. There was a two-week stretch of time that Paul says, we saw neither the sun, the moon, or the stars. It was so bleak and so dark and so violent. We had no idea, is it day? Is it night? Because they couldn't see those things, they could not navigate. They had no idea where they were. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 27 and verse 20, when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. While to be in a hopeless situation, they weren't, they weren't counting on a break in the storm anymore. They gave up on that. When you get to the place when all hope is taken away, there's a tendency to just stop praying because what's the point? We're done. We're doomed. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not loosed from Crete. He had told them before they even left, you don't want to do this. This is going to be met with a lot of damage. And they didn't listen to the preacher, so he did and I told you so moment. You should have hearkened unto me and not loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer for there shall, not, uh, there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. Here's why Paul could say that. For there stood by me this night the angel of God whose I am and whom I serve. He didn't belong to the angel. He belonged to the God of that angel. Saying, fear not, Paul. Thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God 
that it shall be even as it was told me. If you're a child of God this morning, there is no place that you will ever go. There's no circumstance that you will ever find yourself in the midst of where God is not there with you. He's not going to run away when the going gets tough. Your friends may desert you. You may, you may feel like nobody cares, but God is, God's going nowhere. He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. You have the presence of God. Number two, he said, be not dismayed, for I am thy God. Be not dismayed. This idea of being dis dismayed means to be torn asunder to be confounded, to be confused, to, to, to be stressed beyond measure. He says, be not dismayed, for I am thy God. We not only have the presence of God, we have the person of God. We have the person of God. Um, the, the, the Lord is my strength. He's the light of my salvation. The Lord is my hope. Everything you read in the Bible about the nature and the character and the power of God, that is the God who is with us. Can I help you understand? He didn't just say, be not dismayed for I am God. He said, be not dismayed for I am thy God. God has always desired to have a personal relationship with people. I understand that he's God of the saved and of the unsaved. Whether they acknowledge him or not, he is still God. The atheist may scream in God's face and say there is no God, but God's not going anywhere. He is still God. They can vote him out of the schools. They can kick him out of the, the courthouses. They can do anything they want, but he's not going anywhere. He is still God understand that but God did not tell his people here be not dismayed for I am God he said I am thy God I, I have a personal relationship in you I have a personal stake in you and child of God realized this morning that he is your God if you are saved the moment you trusted Christ as Savior, you became his child. You were born again. You were adopted into the family of God. And that's a relationship that will never, ever, 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 ever change. This young man here can say uh, to me uh, that, that I am his father. I'm his father no matter what he does. I'm, I'm his father, whether he's doing right, whether he's doing wrong. I'm his father, uh, whether he's winning, whether he's losing. That is a relationship that doesn't change. And by the way, because I'm his father, the love that goes along with fatherhood, that doesn't change either. And the hope that goes along with fatherhood, that doesn't change either. And every dad in this room, every mom in this room knows exactly what I'm talking about. We, we watch our children rise. Sometimes they stumble and fall. Sometimes they make us very proud. And sometimes we're going, oh, I can't believe that. But they're still our child. Nothing changes. And when you got saved, you became the child of God. But as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He's 
said, be not dismayed. I am thy God. The God who parted the Red Seas, that is my God. The God who brought the walls of Jericho down, that is my God. The God who fed the people in the wilderness with manna every day for 40 plus years, that is my God. The God who broke five loaves of bread and two small fishes and fed 5,000 men plus women and children, that is my God. The God who was crucified and buried and raised again three days later, that is my God. And the God who can do all things well, the God with whom nothing shall be impossible, that is my God. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. We have the presence of God. Fear thou, be not dismayed, for I am thy God. We have the power of God. Keep your place here in Isaiah. Turn, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 33. Jeremiah was nicknamed the weeping prophet. You read this remarkable book and you see many times he talks about the tears running down his face. He wrote the book of Lamentations, which is all weeping and sorrow and crying. He carried such a burden for his people. He suffered so much for the cause of his God. In chapter 33, he's in prison in Jerusalem for preaching the word of God. Verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the second time while he was yet shut up in the court of the prison. The court of the prison, if you'd understand the geography of the city and the layout of the king's palace, the court of the prison was a dungeon in the deepest levels of the king's palace. At one point in that dungeon, his enemies threw him into a dried up well that had no water, just mud in the bottom that was so deep he sank up to his armpits, the Bible says, and left him there to die in that dreadful, dark situation. The, somebody found out about it and pulled him out of there, but he remained in the court of the prison. The city outside was being ravaged by the starvation of Babylon's siege uh, that went on for about three years, and people were dying and, and terrible things out there, but he was in there alone and dark and cold and hungry and wondering, what in the world did I do all of this for? And there in the court of the prison, the Bible says the word of the Lord came to him. You will not go anywhere beyond the reach of God. Verse two, thus saith the Lord, the maker thereof, the Lord that formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Does your Bible have the word Lord in all capitals? That tells us that from the Hebrew, it's the translation of the word Jehovah, the all-powerful, eternally existing God. So Jeremiah I can get to right where you are. I see where you are. I know what you're going through. I want to remind you, I'm the creator. I made everything. I not only made everything, I keep it going. He is before all things and by him all things consist. So Jeremiah, I want you to understand, I know where you are. I know what you're going through, but would you never doubt my power? Would you never doubt that I've given up on you, that I can't get you out of here? By the way, God would get him out. Most of the city of Jerusalem would perish, but Jeremiah would not. Jeremiah would go on to serve God for a number of years. Jeremiah was going to still write more pages of scripture for us. God had a plan for him. God was going to deliver him. But at that moment, Jeremiah needed to just rest in the fact, God's got this. Fear thou not, for I am with thee the presence of God. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God, the 
the uh, person of God. And I think I got a little ahead of myself. Go back to Isaiah 41.10. God says, I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. The presence of God, the person of God, the power of God. By the way, you really can't divide those three. When you talk about God, you talk about all of it. I will strengthen thee. That word strengthen means to fortify from within. I was amazed as I walked through the auditorium praying this morning, praying for our services, praying for preachers all around the country. I started looking at the banners that were up and how many of the verses related to the message here this morning. Somehow it hadn't even dawned on me uh, that, the, that my text verse was already right there. Uh, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. God said, I will strengthen thee. In Psalm 27, 1, David said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Did not Paul say in Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. He said, I can be in the worst of extremities or I can be in the best of times of blessing. He said, in everything in between, he said, I can do, I can uh, be abased, I can abound uh, everywhere and in all things. I can do all these things. He said, because I got, I've got Christ. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. But see, we hang on to our own strength, our own wisdom, our own understanding. And that'll, that'll cause us to fall every time God says, I will strengthen thee. He says, I will help thee. I will help thee. The word help means to surround and protect. Time is racing away from us, but Psalm 121, if you can turn there for a moment. Psalm 121, we used to sing this a long time ago. We probably ought to get back and uh, familiarize ourselves with it once again. Psalm 121, the Bible says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. God says, don't be afraid. I will strengthen you. I'll put a strength on the inside of you that'll see you through the trial. When Paul had his thorn in the flesh, God said, you have nothing to worry about. My grace is sufficient for thee. God says, I will help thee. I'll surround you. I'll protect you. You're never in any danger when you're right smack dab in the center of the will of God. Again, in Isaiah 41.10, the last part of the verse, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. That word uphold means to follow close, to keep fast. Any parents here teach your child to ride a two-wheel bike without the training wheels? How many have gone through that ordeal? Okay, we may have had the training wheels on for a time, but we all know there comes a time you gotta take those things off. And Johnny or Susie, are gonna, they're gonna have to get out there and learn it for themselves. Now, we don't just put them out on the interstate and say, go for it. 
we put them on a, you know, a parking lot or our, our driveway or the sidewalk someplace that we think they're, they're pretty safe. And uh, generally, maybe we, we have a hand on the handlebars, a hand on the seat, and we're sort of running alongside them just a little bit. But at some point, we let go. But I'm, I'm not sure about you. Whenever we went through that with our kids, I didn't just let go and said, see you soon, don't hit that tree. There was always a measure of I'm going to run alongside as much as I can. And, you know, usually I'm saying, turn, turn, turn or break, you know, you know, all the things we had practiced on that. But I'm right there so that in case they start to wobble, we can grab a hold of it because we don't want our child to fall and get injured. Am I right? That's the image that God is placing there. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. What a sense of security that ought to bring to us. Jim's story. Jim's story. Um, two, uh, a week ago this last Friday, two things happened while I was working with Sam. We were, we were working on uh, deadlifts on that particular Friday, and I'm still adjusting to uh, uh, Leonardo, my new uh, knee, just a little bit. And uh, especially on deadlifts, it presents some issues. And sometimes when I get the weight all the way up, it'll tend to lock out on me. And if I'm not standing on it just right when I reach that point, it can, it can be kind of a bad thing. We had a, about 175 pounds uh, uh, with the bar uh, that particular day. And uh, so I was struggling, and, and it, it, the first couple tries, nothing was working very, very well. Um, and then on the last one, I'm, I'm just trying to mentally figuring out what do I need to change and do and so forth. And somehow, by the grace of God, I got the weight all the way up, but the knee locked out and did something that I can't even explain if I tried to, and it actually threw me backwards. Now, I got a bar with 175 pounds of weight. It's now throwing me backwards, and I'm swinging my prosthetic limb out, trying to figure a way to, to, to catch myself and all that. When I started the lift, Sam was sitting in front of me because he watches closely. He's, he's trying to figure out with me how to do things. And uh, he, he saw me getting it up and he saw me doing one of these things. And it just so happened that there was a, 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 some kind of a, not a machine, but there was some piece of equipment like three feet behind me that if I fell on it, uh, my lifting days are over for good. And I'm headed in that direction. And I don't know how the man managed it, but before I could go very far, before more than a couple seconds elapsed, he was behind me. He had me by the shoulders and he was just helping stabilize me till I could stabilize myself. God said, yea, I will uphold thee. Jude wrote these verses in Jude verse 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and ever, amen. God is able to keep us from falling. By the way, even when we stumble and fall, sometimes we do that because we think we know more than God. He's able to pick us up. The just man falleth seven times and riseth yet again. Peter was walking, or Peter was on the ship one night with the other 12, or the other 11. Jesus wasn't with them. Another storm. 
read how many times in the Gospels they were out on the Sea of Galilee and the Lord let a storm come up. Storms are where we learn the greatest lessons about our faith. We don't like them, we don't want them, we avoid them, but you mark it down, we learn more about God, we learn more about where we are spiritually in a storm than just about anywhere else. So here's this storm, and in the third watch of the night, that means it's about three in the morning, Jesus comes to them walking on the water. That would have been so cool to see. Just walking on the water. I mean, there's wind everywhere. There's waves. It's three in the morning. There's not moonlight. Uh, and they, they see this figure coming out there. They, their night vision's probably pretty attuned uh, by that point. And of course, being great men of faith and men of God, the Bible says they thought it was a ghost. Where's that come from? What Bible verse? I realize there's the Holy Ghost, but that's something about the Holy Spirit. And they assumed it's a ghost. And the Bible says they cried out, these are grown men. These are big, rough, and tough men. Ah! It's, it's like, the, you know, big guys get on the roller coaster, and then it's scared, and they thought, and they scream, you know, hoping nobody heard that. Here, here are 12 guys out there screaming because they think they see a ghost. And Jesus says, be not afraid, it is I. Peter recognizes the voice. Peter says, Lord, if it be thou, why are you doubting that? He just said it was him. Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. By the way, time out here. Make fun of Peter all you want. But have you ever walked on water? Would you have asked the Lord to let you do that in the middle of a storm like that? John didn't. James didn't. Andrew didn't. My namesake Thomas didn't. But Peter said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come under the water. And Jesus just said, come. And just like that, Peter steps out of the boat and he's walking on the water towards Jesus. Again, say what you want about him. None of us have ever done that. What an amazing thing. But then the Bible says as he's walking, he saw the winds and the waves boisterous. He started looking around and he, he just saw all the wind and everything that was terrifying them all night long. He got his eyes off the Savior and placed them back on the storm. What happened to him? He began to sink. But to his credit, Peter cried out, Lord, save me. And the Bible says, that Jesus took his hand and brought him back up. He didn't fling him into the boat. And they too walked to the boat. I know he sank for just a little while. I'm pretty sure I'd have stayed in the boat. Or I'm pretty sure my faith wouldn't have gotten me that far. But Peter walked out a certain distance. He got his eyes off the Savior for a moment, but he found out that even there, the Savior was still there. And the Lord took his hand and grabbed him and lifted him up. And together they walked back on the water. See, that's the Lord's plan. Yeah, we're, we're human. He remembers that we're dust. His plan is not for us to sink under the waves. His plan is to reach down and take us. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of thy righteousness. I told you I had two gym stories that both took place on the same Friday. After that issue with the, the deadlift and my understanding of, of Sam's, if you will, his, his care for me, his ability just to be there, uh, the day was done. His next client was coming in and warming up, getting ready to go. 
and so forth. And I was gathering my stuff together, and, and you've seen me have the spikes in pain. I've had a few this morning, and I would sometimes go like this. Well, I got one of those spikes, and it was, it's, it was the worst one I've ever had. Uh, I can't even describe it. Sam told me later, he said, I've seen you have these, he said, but the look in your eyes scared me to death. And I'm gasping. I know I, I forfeited my man card because I know I was crying. It hurt that bad. Sam took off running. He said, I'm calling 911. I said, please don't because I already know what's going to happen. And it, it, I said, it'll pass. It'll pass. Well, it, it, it didn't pass for a long time. So Sam ran over and got a bench. I'm, I'm sitting down on the bench. I'm clutching my chest. I, can, I cannot talk. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, it, it's just... It's a nightmare when all of a sudden I became aware of the fact Sam is hunkered down right beside me on my left side. One of his hands is on my shoulder, squeezing tight. The other is squeezing around my, my wrist because my fists were clenched because of the pain that I was in. So he, he put his hand here and I heard this voice. I couldn't respond for a little while. I heard this voice said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. Would you understand, saint of God, child of God? You go through your storm and your trial, your burden and your battle and your problem. He's not going anywhere. And I'm not talking about Sam. I'm talking about the God that gave us Isaiah 41.10. Would you read it with me? Psalm 41, verse 10. Are you ready? Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Can I encourage you to make this one of your go-to verses? There are people that I've dealt with that would not get saved because they were afraid of what their friends or family would say. There are people that are afraid to follow the Lord and believers' baptism for whatever reason. I'm afraid of being in front of people. There are people that are afraid of taking the next step in their faith, afraid of passing out a gospel tract, of sharing their faith, of inviting someone to church, of taking on a, a ministry, a responsibility, of giving whatever it is. And it's fear that's just holding you back. Would you understand that's not God's plan for you? We walk by faith not by sight. We also walk by faith, not by fear. Not by fear. What's the giant that's got you hovering on the mountainside, unable to go forward? What's the storm that's got you crying out, saying, Master, carest thou not that we perish? You've got a God that says, Fear thou not, I'm with thee. You have my, you have my presence. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. You have his person. I will, I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. You have his power. So why are you still afraid? Can we bow our heads for prayer this morning?